Welcome to the Hollywood Dream Podcast, the podcast where we talk to film and TV professionals about their journey towards reaching their big Hollywood dream, whatever that dream might be to them. In today's episode, I'm talking to writer and producer Katie Tibaldi. Katie has worked on tons of TV shows here in New York City. She was a producer in the show At Home with Amy Sedaris, and currently she's a writer on Amazon Prime's hit show Harlem. Just FYI, I record my podcast from my small studio apartment here in New York City. So you're going to hear my dog in the background here and there. You might hear a siren. Uh, So I apologize in advance. But besides that, I had a great chat with Katie. So please enjoy my conversation with Katie Tibaldi. How are you? It's been so long. I know. How are you? I haven't seen you in so long. You're in in grad school right now? I graduated in uh, 2021. I went during the pandemic. That's smart. Yeah. um, And then I spent like two years trying to find work. And then I was I was not successful because I just kept getting the same response. Yeah, it's so rough right now, too. Like uh, from the pandemic, I mean, so many of us had to stop working or just like find anything that we could do. And then uh now with like the writer's strike and director's strike and everything getting canceled so much and not as much stuff being made it's just it's just really hard i know uh, it, it sucks that like a lot of good shows are being canceled i used to love uh, the gordita chronicles i don't know if you've seen oh, yeah. that on hbo yeah and they just cancel it Yeah, HBO has canceled so much. It makes me so sad. Like, I was working on uh, At Home with Amy Sedaris when the pandemic happened. We actually finished shooting, like, two weeks before, like, all hell broke loose. So, yeah, (laughs) like, mid-February 2020. Uh, And so we were just getting ready to, like, move out of the office. And we were starting editing. And then um, it was, like, all of a sudden everything has to be from home nothing can be in person and um you know people getting out of the city to be able to like save money and to be able Mm -hmm. to have more space during a time where obviously we couldn't be around a lot of people so yeah that was challenging to have everybody like working from different houses obviously zoom became much more of a thing and um having to like be on the phone a lot and stuff like that so it was definitely, um, and it affected our show. Like, we uh, finished editing during 2020, and then the third season came out, and it went well. We had, like, the same audience following. We didn't lose any of our audience, which was really good and um, very interactive. Amy has a really active following, so the fans were super excited to have something, like, funny <laughs> to watch yeah. during, like, a tough time. Um, and then, yeah, uh, I mean, basically we got you know, largely canceled due to the pandemic, just because even though we shot exclusively in studio, which is safer than at least like having to deal with like all the outside locations and everything um, and the challenges of not being able to control that as much, um, HBO, that was kind of the beginning 
of like yeah. them starting to, you know, cut content. And it was sad for us because we had been on True TV and then Warner Brothers accrued like True TV, TBS, uh, TNT. And, uh, you know, it was just like very small fish in a big pond. And we were super excited to be on HBO because we were finding all this new audience that was finding us yeah. there. And, um, we were in like the top 10 most watched shows after midnight and um, nice. it was great for people who like didn't have true TV or didn't even know what true TV was to be like, why haven't I heard about the show? Like, this is so great, you know? And um, then to have it come to a close just because of pandemic partially, but also just Warner brothers was kind of in that mode of starting to cut stuff. So we were one of the kind of the early shows. And then as you've seen, so many more shows have gotten, cut since then and I mean we were Emmy nominated every season and had like a loyal following so it was mm -hmm. rough you know and it was rough for our crew to have to tell everybody like you know we didn't get any closure or anything because even like yeah end of um we were planning to have like a big screening of our first couple episodes with our cast and crew and obviously we couldn't do that because of the pandemic yeah. and then so many people were out of work from our crew and our cast I mean almost everyone because of the pandemic that they were really hoping, you know, it was going to come back so that they'd have work and then to have to deliver the news of like, oh, it's not coming back. And just so many people being out of work um, is tough. And then I just feel like we keep getting hit. It's like the pandemic. And I mean, I um, am supportive of the strikes because there's a lot of issues. Obviously, we're seeing shows being taken off that don't that have been made that don't even get to go on a network, um, mm -hmm. you know, that are fully written shot edited and then just like not put on air for like a tax break you know is really really rough for creatives who put all this time into making something then they don't even get a chance for people to see it or like our show amy's show now um every single day people still ask us like where they can stream it and it's like the yeah. only places it's on now because when hbo you know, when HBO Max moved it to HBO Max, it was like they wanted that to be the premier destination people could watch it. And so suddenly it went from being on a bunch of different platforms like Amazon, iTunes, True TV, you know, all these different places to it was only on HBO. And then when they pulled it, it's like now you can buy episodes on like YouTube TV and Google Play, but that's it. So we constantly have people being like, why can't we stream it? Like, when is it going to be back on Amazon? When is it going to be back on iTunes? Why isn't it on HBO Max? And it's like, all we can say is tell them you miss it. You know, like we would love for it to be streaming too. Or Amy has a big following internationally. Um, and a lot of international audiences really are like, why, when can we get our hands on it? Especially like Australia, New Zealand, like all over the world. Yeah. Um, uh, England, she has a really big following, and Canada even, uh, and they're constantly. Someone needs to start a hashtag. I know. I'm always <laughs> like, just all we can say is like, tell Warner Brothers, you know. But like, you feel bad because some of the fans are so passionate and they want to find it, and it's just like people should be able to always watch, you know, things that were made. Like even huge shows like Westworld, you know, now being pulled from like HBO. That was one of their like flagship shows, so mm -hmm. nothing's really safe you know content wise like anything could be pulled the smallest show that has a smaller audience the largest audience i mean um and so i really think that that's wrong everyone should be able to find content that's been made to rewatch. you know we all have I our know. shows that we love to 
rewatch and rewatch and rewatch. And I know. DVDs Especially aren't. I mean, I think DVDs are going to come back, to be honest, because um, you just can't rely on digital media to exist forever. I know exactly. Like, especially there's so many streaming services. I know. They could easily just sell the show to another streaming service, yeah. but they just like erase it f for some reason. Yeah, I just think like, you know, a responsibility to the shows that you made, just that people should always at least be able to watch them. If you cancel them, you know, like that's their decisions. They they have, we can't control that, unfortunately, you know, like the people in charge make those decisions, but to not even have the content available readily for people, I just think, and then to not even put on shows that have been fully made to even give mm -hmm. them a chance, that's just really <laughs> devastating for creators, but also audiences who, like I said, Amy having a heavy, really loyal following, like literally, you know, every week asking like, when can we find this? Where is it? Why can't we find it? And you're like, we want yeah. you to see it. It's just like not in our control, you know, unfortunately. I know that sucks. Yeah. Were you a producer in that show? I was, or a writer? yeah. Yeah, I started as a writer's assistant the first season and then got promoted to co-producer and then producer. We had a really, really small um, writing staff just because it was a smaller budget show. Um, so helped write the show and helped produce the show, like helped with casting and, um, you know, a lot of different creative elements as far as working with all the different departments from costumes to hair and makeup to sets and production mm -hmm. design. And um, we, Amy has a really specific aesthetic um, that's really fun to lean into that people you know really love so it was very she cares very much about every detail which I think shows when you watch the show it very much feels yeah. like her and has a uniqueness to it so uh, all of our department heads were incredible but it was a lot of collaboration um, from a producing standpoint and also from a writing standpoint because we were always trying to like make it the best it could be until the last second and we didn't have the longest period of time to write so it was like always writing 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 and then you know rewriting while we were shooting and um, sometimes because of casting things and availability and stuff so um, we had a lot of amazing guest stars on that show we were really lucky just that want to work with Amy and so that was really fun and what is the difference between like writing on a show like Amy's show and Harlem? Um, yeah, well, Amy's show is more of like sketch variety, although it was it was very much scripted. I'd say it was kind of a combo of like a scripted half hour kind of not sitcom, but yeah, like a half hour comedy meets like sketch comedy because she played a lot of uh you know, characters, and we mm -hmm. very much had a world, but then we could kind of do sketches within the characters she played in the world. We Every episode was kind of a different theme. Um, so it might be like a holiday, you know, like a, a holiday episode, like um, an episode that was inspired by a specific movie that we were kind of parroting our version of versus, um, and we had like recurring things that would happen in episodes. So that was sort of similar to like a, more traditional scripted show and then mm -hmm. um harlem is much more and most of the shows i've worked on uh are much more like you know i mean i think amy's show and harlem are both character driven but harlem's more 
exploring, you know, the full lives of these women versus uh, Amy's show is more like having fun in a world that like we don't even date when it could be happening. Like it could be present time, it could be 20 mm -hmm. years ago, you know, 40 years ago. So we kind of intentionally leave it as like um, its own existence versus Harlem's very much set in present time in Harlem, focused on, you know, four black women um, in their 30s, trying to figure out life, <laughs> like at that mm -hmm. period of time in your life, which I think is really fun because we don't, we don't get to see that time explored as much with women. It's usually more, you know, 20s. Um, yeah. And these are women who are like fully in their 30s and just the challenges that exist in trying to figure out like who you are and how you, in your 30s, you really, I think, come into your own as far as like, you've just experienced a bit more life. So you, um, have a I think a truer sense of who you really are and what you want but it's still a journey as it always is yeah. to figure out you know life relationships what society tells you your life should look like versus what you actually want as a person and how is the writer's room uh in Harlem how is that experience it's great you know it's um it's mostly black women and um, gay men, which is <laughs> extremely rare. Um, you know, I'm sure you know that most writers' rooms, sadly, even today still, you know, I've been in many rooms where I'm the only woman or there's only a couple of women, let alone people of color. There may be one person, two people. I mean, it's still far too rare um, that you don't have more gender diversity, more, um, you know, people who aren't white <laughs> in a room. So it's really refreshing. Like almost everyone who's in the room, I would say, would say that this is the first room they've been in that is primarily women of color and gay men. And there aren't any straight white mm -hmm. men, which is like unheard of. Um, I've, I've personally never experienced that before. Um, I have, I worked on the, my f kind of first TV show that I worked on um, full time, Are We There Yet? It had the showrunner was a black man and it was primarily people of color in the room. Um, there were some white men, but primarily people of color, um, mm -hmm. not a ton of women um, for a show that we did 90 episodes in a year. So it was extremely, you know, challenging and constantly making stuff. But other than that, um, you know, it's usually often male showrunners, um, a lot of white people, uh, not a lot of women. Um, it's getting better. Like when I worked on Broad City, they had a lot of women in the room, which was nice. Um, but, you know, it was also a show that had been really successful as a web series and then came to be a show. So they kind of had their core team, you know, from that time who've now gone on to like, obviously Abby and Alana have done great things, but also Paul and Lucia like co-created Hacks and have gone mm -hmm. on to like do a bunch of movies and so, um, and also just rooms, unfortunately. I mean, this is part of what the writers strike issues, you know, are stacking up and even for the Directors Guild and, and Actors Guild, um, but specifically for writers, rooms are smaller and smaller. And that's very difficult both to execute the show well and um, yeah. have as much collaboration that can really, you know, make it the best it can be, but also just to like get a script, I mean, a lot of rooms, if I've gone into as a writer's assistant or a script coordinator, or if someone comes in as a 
Raiders PA or whatever, I mean, a lot of times there aren't even any opportunities to get a script. Like all the scripts have already been assigned or everyone who's in the room, even as a staff writer, is not getting a script. Like that's common. I've worked on many shows where like not everyone got a script who was even staffed as a writer. Of course, we're all collaborating in the room, like doing punch ups and you know, blue skying ideas and working on outlines and and helping do joke passes for the scripts and stuff. But, you know, you could be a staff writer. Staff writers don't get paid that much. And obviously, if you're a writer assistant script coordinator, you're definitely not making a lot of money. So it's hard if you can't even even have the opportunity like you could be the best you could be. And there's still no opportunity to even have the chance of getting a script is really tough. Um, to make a living, uh, to only be doing one job at once. Like, I'm usually doing multiple jobs. Um, Same with producing, because, you know, the Producers Guild uh, doesn't have any minimums, like the Writers Guild or the Directors Guild or the Actors Guild does. So, like, you could be an executive producer or you could be an associate producer and you could be paid the same amount of money because there's no minimums to say, like, no, an executive producer has to be paid at least this much. And associate producers paid this much. Um, so it's really hard. Like I've worked on, I think that's why more women, you know, I also work in documentary a lot. And the great thing about documentary is there's more women in positions of power as far as producing. But yeah. the reason for that is because there's very little money <laughs> in documentaries. <laughs> so you have to really be in it for the right reasons. Um, but it's very difficult to make a living because documentary films can take you know a film that i produced took like eight years to make you don't know how long it's going to take because the really fun thing is you don't know where the stories are going to go right you're following them as they're happening in real time and so but it's challenging like i was working other full-time jobs all through making that film but the film also required a lot of my attention like helping find all the subjects and then being there to film like the the director and I were the only two ever like with our subjects so like and keeping those relationships going to know what's going on in their lives and um just being like a support system for some of them and you know it requires a lot of work just on its own it's a full-time job but then because like for that film we completely produced it on our own we were eventually able to um first run features like distributed it but You know, there's just not really the only companies for documentaries that give substantial money to support is like HBO and then like PBS. um, And that's kind of it. (laughs) Like there are Mm -hmm. others, but it's it's pretty rare. So you really have to like believe in the project and it requires a lot of, you know, fundraising, applying. We applied for hundreds of grants. We got, you know, lucky and got a few um we had support from sundance and san francisco film society but like that was literally hundreds of grants to just get like a couple and then there were times where we'd be in contention with like former oscar nominees for like a thirty thousand dollar grant and you know that's pretty discouraging when you're like okay they've like been nominated for oscars we're in you know the finals with them but like yeah it's hard to you know, like, they're still having to try and go for $30,000 grants, which, like, in the scheme of things isn't that much money to, like, make a film from start to finish. So it's just uh, requires a lot of sacrifice and requires 
a lot of juggling and it you know sometimes when I see the stats of people being like well you know more women are getting opportunity in documentaries that's true and that's great but it is also because we're not being paid um and it requires a lot of like you know I think a lot of women are very empathetic people or more empathetic and so like you get you really care about the subjects and you care about the story not that people of all genders don't but just like I think it's specific to why you see so many women like in documentaries yeah working their way up in the producing aspect or even you know maybe getting some more chances at directing but producing specifically because a lot of it's like work that people don't want to do and for not a lot of money and it could take years of your life so like for me I make documentaries because like I'm interested in to me like people sometimes people be like oh you work in comedy you work in documentary you work in drama like those are so different I personally really don't like being boxed in like that I also think in this business like if you don't come from money or you don't have like a spouse to support you like you just need to diversify um to survive and then also um really to me it's all just about telling great stories so the thing about documentary that's incredible is like there really is no better story because they're actual people's real stories that hopefully Mm -hmm. you feel compelled to tell. Like, people need to know these stories. They're not being told, um, which is really incredible, I think. Um, And then the same thing when you're creating a story from scratch, right? It's like, well, what are you trying to say? What are you trying to bring? Like, are you trying to bring, you know, people joy or to talk about things that you're passionate about that you think a lot of people could relate to. So they actually have a lot in common, I think, and a lot of the mm-hmm. filmmakers that I'm really drawn to um, don't limit themselves like by being put in a box. I mean, I think the industry really tries to people put people in a box and they're very yeah. like, confused if, you know, you're like, well, what do you mean you're doing documentaries but you do comedy? Like, I don't understand. <laughs> you're just kind of like, <laughs> I don't really know how to under- you know, explain if you don't understand, to me, it's just like I'm drawn to telling good stories. And so that could be any medium. It could be web series. It could be podcast. It could be, um, you know, documentary. It could be television. Um, I think it's just something that um, I enjoy in a way to like, yeah, diversify your opportunities, mm-hmm. but also just like not limit yourself to the exactly. kind of stories you want to tell. I know I'm trying to do a short documentary, um, cool. but I've, I'm kind of nervous about it because I've never, I'm not really familiar with that genre. Um, and I applied for a grant and I'm a, I am found out that I'm a finalist. Oh, that's amazing. Congratulations. Thank you. But I, <laughs> part of me doesn't want to get the grant because I'm like, oh shit, I have to do it this now. <laughs> I think it's like anything, right? It's like every, we all like sometimes are, I don't know about you, but sometimes, you know, when you're working on something or you're trying to choose like what you're going to write ni- next, what you're going to make next, there's all this pressure that like, this needs to be better than the last thing I made or... Mm-hmm this needs to you know exceed expectations or whatever but for me I think a huge like to me six when people are like what's success because I think this business is so hard I have friends who are like very successful I have you know friends who are very much still trying to make their way I have friends who are just starting out like 
the thing to me is like success for me at this point this many years in just trying to you know be an just being an artist to me is success like if i can mm-hmm. just continue to be an artist to me that is success you know it'd be great to have more financial stability it'd be great to have be able to help more people that i want to help you know work their way up in the business and to change things that i want to change like what rooms look like or who's hired you know or who's in charge and i do try to do that when i have any kind of power or when i'm doing my own projects you know like yes let's have a mostly female crew like because it's just so rare you ever see that that i want to have that be the case it doesn't mean i don't know some like wonderful men that i work with of course but it's we're still you know people of color women lgbtq we're still hugely disrepresented in this industry and so why not give yourself the opportunity to have what you often don't have um and you know on sets or in situations but also to be able to like collaborate with people that you'd love to collaborate and maybe don't have control of so i think with just like everything we make i think we get better the more we make stuff the more we write stuff so it's like with the doc it's like just allow yourself you'll be surprised i mean you're a storyteller so it really isn't different in that sense the only difference is like you are discovering the story as you're shooting it because you don't know where the people's lives you know are gonna go um but it has really the structure of any story like okay who are your characters you know what's the arc um i personally really like shooting verite with documentaries where you're just like not doing interviews, just capturing what happens. Um, and of mm-hmm. course, how you edit, you know, you are bringing some of your own storytelling lens to how you see their story. But generally, I really love when it's like, you're just capturing it exactly as it happens yeah. and then putting it together because I just feel like that. Um, I mean, there are documentaries I love where they interview people too, but just personally, I'm, I'm drawn to Verite a lot because it's like, I'm letting the people speak for themselves without me prompting, asking questions, you know, um, just capturing it as it happens. It takes more patience (laughs) because you're not going to have that like golden answer to cut to, you know, or like the talking head to be like, explain what we just saw. You're having (laughs) to work on the editing so much and, and to also give the audience like a little bit more freedom of like interpretation of what they're seeing. But I think there's something really beautiful in that. But yeah, I think, I have no doubt you'd be great making a documentary and um, I think there's things about it that you'd be surprised how much you enjoy um, Mm -hmm. both that you have in common with the stories you've told before and then also ways you haven't told a story because the way you feel such a responsibility to the people that you're portraying and having to like let things happen as they happen and not interfere but it is quite a privilege to let you know, to people let you tell their stories and to show what they're going through, which sometimes can be really, you know, up and down as life is. Um, and you get to be there for those moments. And I do consider that like quite a privilege and mm-hmm. to know when I'm not here anymore, like, well, these are stories I'm leaving behind that I think need to be told that aren't being told and like to be able to be proud of that, you know? So yeah. um, I think you love it. What was your documentary about? Um, it's called Street Fighting Men. It's about four men, or not, sorry, not four men, three men uh, in Detroit, uh, which is my entire family's from Detroit area. 
um, grew up there, and uh, it's each of a different generation. One's in his 20s, one's in his 40s, one's in his 60s, um, and sort of the parallels. You know, it's really about like how difficult it is to get out of poverty in America, mm-hmm. and um, generationally how we can see that. Like our oldest subject um, is a re- they're all black men in Detroit, and he's a former retired cop who's now you know patrolling his neighborhood to help keep it safe because in Detroit there's you know a lot of um issues with neighborhoods just being able to not have like if something happens that you know there's issues with the police obviously and then there's issues with not being enough police to respond to immediate issues if it's not like directly like you know something they have to respond to right away and then just like people moving out of the city because um, of issues in neighborhoods. So, and then people who can't move out of the city, but wanting it to be safer and to have more community. So our oldest subject, Jack Rabbit, like he remembers Detroit kind of in its heyday when it was like at the height of, you know, like Motown and um, a wonderful time in the city. And then once the riots happened, how, that changed a lot of things and then Detroit just does not have enough resources period and there's been a lot of corruption and politics and um so he just like with his neighbors and specifically one of his friends um they just like ride around and you know try to like hear what's going on in the neighborhood try to make people feel safer um if things are getting stolen out of houses or if there's a drug house like you know monitoring those situations and they actually have they've been ranked the last few years the safest neighborhood in Detroit which he's very proud of um but you know that's his perspective and then we have Mm -hmm. our middle subject who he's the first to go to college and his family they came from Jamaica to Detroit when he was like 10 years old um and he went to college and then was able to save money to buy some houses to like flip in Detroit and then the 20 you know the 2008 crash happened Mm-hmm. And it really devastated people who own properties in Detroit because they were suddenly, like, worth nothing. And um, so he buys this one house, and it was a former crack house, and he's he's living in it without running water and without, um, you know, heat and stuff to fix it up on his own. And his church is helping him and some of his family, and he's putting everything into it. And then when we filmed, the house uh, burnt down which is really mm-hmm. devastating. We don't know if it was targeted specifically. There was, like, a drug house across the street uh, that, you know, he didn't think they liked him living across the street from him. Could have been that, or it could have just been, like, random, you know, someone throwing something into the house. But it burned the whole back of the house, and so that was extremely devastating because he lost mm-hmm. all of his possessions and and thankfully his dog survived um which was kind of his sole companion but you see someone who's you know making first for their family but just how difficult it is without having um like financial resources to help you yeah. and without having like most people you know are just getting by so they can't help other people because like they're barely getting by themselves so um that was you know he went through a lot of ups and downs and then our youngest subject kind of knew it he's only known Detroit to be really challenging um he mm-hmm. 
his dad was in jail since he was two and he was um his mom got addicted to drugs and had abusive boyfriends and he asked to be removed from his home when he was like 12 years old and then was in and out of foster care and uh he was actually a really good football player and so that looked like it was maybe gonna be something but he got shot after a football game by like a rival school and so you see him in the movie he's trying to get his ged he's going to this program where they teach you uh practical construction skills and certifications while also getting your ged and then just Mm -hmm. like how difficult he has a young daughter and how difficult it is if like you know, your average young person getting up at four in the morning so they can take their daughter to daycare by taking three buses because they don't have a car and then getting Mm -hmm. to school by eight or eight thirty and just having no support. Like at one point he gets picked up because he's crashing in a house with friends where some people are selling drugs and um, he goes to jail and like he called us, you know, thankfully he got out. Um, because he wasn't doing anything, but he was in jail for, you know, a few weeks. And we were the people he called just because he knew he could count on us to, like, be there for him. And so I think that's, you know, we just try to show with the film, like, how incredible it is the resistance uh, that people have despite things that happen to them that a lot of them, if one of the things happened to someone, they would be like, I give up, you know, or like wouldn't keep trying. And yet all three of our subjects and then some of the supporting people that are also featured, like they're giving so much to try and make things better. Like Darius is trying to make things better for his daughter than he had it. You know, Jackrabbit really cares about his neighborhood and wants it to be like what he remembers it kind of in the heyday um, and just to be a safe place for everyone who lives there and to be a community. And then Luke just kind of having the dream of like, the American dream of owning a home and having his own, you know, his own thing and creating community, starting with one house. Um, yeah. These are all things people can relate to, but just how one difficult it is for anyone to have those things in America these mm-hmm. days. But also, especially if you're a black man and everyone, you know, is just trying to get by. Um, it's very, very, very difficult to, pull yourself out of that like because it's just a cycle you know it's um so they incredibly inspired me just of like how much shit they are dealing with on a regular basis and yet not to say they don't have times where they are really depressed like when luke's house burned it was incredibly terrible moment for him you know he was in a really really dark place for several months understandably um yeah but the fact that they keep trying to me is just really inspiring because it's it's hard when you're just constantly getting you know beat down by life and yeah. as soon as it seems like you're getting any traction something else happens that you can't control i know and what drew you to tell their story i mean i always you know like my whole family's uh from detroit a lot of them still live in the detroit area and so i always just found it to be a place that I had taken a class at, um, I went to undergrad at the University of Michigan my first two years just to like do my gen eds. And I took this history of the American family class where we focused on Detroit a lot because obviously it was right next to Ann Arbor. And, you know, it's just a city where (laughs) so many people have gotten screwed over despite it being a, a place of great innovation and obviously like a real hub for people of color, not just black people, but even 
today there's so many um, people from the Arabic community who live there that come from uh, immigrate to the states and there's a huge community for that uh, in the Detroit area and you know just the way that what was once you know in the top largest cities in America and was producing obviously like all the cars and had a lot of industry um, just the ways that it's been continually screwed over specifically because it's mostly black, you know, like the way that redlining has mm-hmm. happened there of like black neighborhoods that were doing really well. Oh, okay. Now we're going to put, you know, a rail rail tracks through this neighborhood, or we're going to force people out of this neighborhood. And, and there's been a lot of, lot of corruption in the government there, which has been a huge problem. And I just think personally, like the thing I'm most proud of with the film is when we showed it in Detroit, we got to screen it at the, Detroit Institute of the Arts, which if anyone gets a chance to check out, is like an incredible, um, incredible museum. Uh, and it was for the Detroit Free, Detroit Free Press Film Festival. And so we screened there and then at this place called Cinema Detroit um, in Detroit, which is like an independent movie theater. Um, but the people who are from Detroit and live in Detroit yeah. really responded to the film because I think we tell it in a really honest way, you know, like we're not, like I said, it's all verite, so it's all as it happened. And we worked Mm -hmm. on it for, we shot for almost four years um, to really capture the essence of what's happening in the city and these people who are so resilient despite just continually you know, having to deal with so much that you can't predict and then some that you can predict that's just like cyclical and still trying to make their lives better, make the lives of the people around them better, their families better. Um, I don't feel like that's a story. You know, I think a lot of people who make films about Detroit go in and they're talking about like artists who are living there or like white people who are living there. And that was important to us of like, having three black men of different generations and seeing what's similar and seeing what's different um, just based on their age and how long they've lived in the city and how difficult it is to like some people just be you know would say like for with our youngest subject like why doesn't he just go to college or why don't they move out of the city and it's like those aren't options I mean those aren't options like they can't afford can't afford to move out of the city and he would love to go to college, but he doesn't have the money for that. Like, he's struggling to have safety, power, food, be able to take care of his daughter. He doesn't have his own transportation. Um, and I just think there's a lot of things that people don't think about. And then also to see, you know, Jackrabbit, our oldest subject, lives a life that's so devoted to service. Like, every day he's, even though he's retired from being a police officer, he's like, someone that people call in the neighborhood instead of calling the police and he's doing these you know neighborhood community patrols to like try and keep things safer like from people's furnaces getting stolen out of their house when they're not home like all these kind of things that how many people do you know who are doing anything with their neighbors let alone every single day you know um and luke just like the fact that he just had this what's supposed to be an american dream which i think owning a home is like so hard. I don't know that I'll ever own a home in my life. It's also not really a goal of mine, but it's so hard in today's world, just with how expensive everything is, let alone you're the first person 
doing things in your family, like going to college. And then just we keep having, you know, the two, 2008 housing crash and the pandemic and just all the things that you can't predict that um, affect you even more if you're coming from a position where you're every day is just a struggle to like get through the day. And I yeah. think that's what not enough people, in my opinion, understand of just like, no, but if you tomorrow like had your house burned down, like, would you have people who could take you in? Like, would mm. you have people who could help give you clothes or help give you food or, you know, just have a safe place to stay? Um, and, you know, some of us would, like, even if our families don't have a lot of money, you could stay with your family or, you know, someone would help you recoup some of the things you lost. And that's just not the case for more and more people in this country who are just, like, struggling to get by. But I just really admire their, like, ability to keep trying to make things better despite so many circumstances against them yeah and is is your uh, documentary available somewhere to it so is. we can see it yeah you can watch it on amazon you can okay. watch it on itunes you can watch it on ovid tv which is like a documentary platform you mm -hmm. can buy it on dvd from first run pictures which were uh or sorry first run features which we're really excited to be part of their permanent collection because they're like the longest running documentary and foreign film company in the u.s and you can also uh if you have a library card you can watch it via canopy which is like the free you know all the free films you can watch just with a library card uh oh i didn't know that yeah. i have a library card <laughs> yeah there's actually a lot of really great films especially documentaries but even just all kinds of films and tv shows and obviously books too but um yeah yeah the canopy aspect is like the video aspect oh, of cool. the library um, i know you have to be get ready to go to work so i'm not gonna keep you much longer but will you do a rapid fire question for two minutes? Of course. Okay. It's, it's just to get to know you more. <laughs> the number to beat is 16. Okay. Wow. <laughs> That's impressive Hold in on. two minutes. I know. Well, they're easy questions. They're all about you. Okay. So start the clock. What is your go-to karaoke song? Oh. Um, I feel like Islands in the Stream is like a good group. That's what one of my best friends, Marika, and I really like to do that one. Um, or like some kind of pop, you know, bop of the moment. Okay. Who is your current celebrity crush? Ooh, current celebrity crush. Oh, God. Um, I don't know, like Michael B. Jordan or like Ryan Gosling. Oh, yeah. I feel like those are... Those are like he's sexy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what is your favorite emoji? Oh, um, probably like the the hug heart emoji. I feel like I like that one. What is your biggest virtual pet peeve, or just regular pet peeve? My biggest virtual pet peeve, um, maybe like I don't know, people who are thoughtless about what they post. Most unique place you've visited? Ooh. I've been to Bali once for one of my best friend's wedding. He's from the Philippines, which is like an hour from Bali. So uh, I don't know if I'll ever return, but it's an incredible place, and I'm really <laughs> glad I was able to get there once. 
uh, background noise or do you work in silence? Ooh, depends on my mood. Sometimes I very much need a playlist or I'll listen to like classical music to focus sometimes and then sometimes I need just like a general playlist to kind of feel my different emotions. But sometimes mm -hmm. if I'm reading the script out loud, I want it to be silent. I like to read the script a lot to hear how it sounds. Okay, favorite TV show? Oh, God, there's so many. That's like <laughs> an impossible question for me. Uh, of course, I love Succession. I think it's brilliant. Um, I love the show Starstruck. It's like one of my favorite, favorite shows. It's a BBC show that uh, Rose Montefeo created. Um, those are two that I really love. And favorite movie? Oh, favorite movie. Uh-oh, timer's up. <laughs> Yes, we ran out of time. That's another one that's so hard. There's so many great movies. Just depends on my mood. You got eight. Okay, that's not 16. The 16 person was really focused. I know, she was really fast. Yeah, I should just do like yes, no, like very quick answers, but. Um, I know, maybe I'll, maybe I'll change the questions to make them like yes or no, so it could be easier. <laughs> you got a lot of, it's a fun way to get to know people. I'd yeah. like to know your answers, so I feel like it'd be fun to hear you say your answers. I know. I, I think I'll have a hard time answering them. I know that for my, the karaoke song is, is Barbie Girl by Aqua. Oh, that's a classic, <laughs> yeah. There's some that are just like, you can't go wrong with, right? And then I always love when you get surprised. Like, I have a friend, um, Dagmar, she'll do like Bjork, like which I think is like so impressive to take on for a karaoke. But she's a very good singer and she just like bops around the room, you know, kind of like <laughs> uh, the Oh So Quiet Bjork song. So she'll like do that and just be like fully going for it. So she's able to pull it off. But I feel like very few people could pull off that karaoke. <laughs> um, and then some are just like, you know, everybody join in and yell at the screen yeah. together. Those are kind of my favorites. I know. And then I guess my last question would be like, is there any advice you would give to someone who's trying to break into TV to be a writer, producer? What would you say to them? Yeah, I think um, most important is like find realize that everyone has their own voice. And so try not to compare yourself to other people. I think that's something I really learned in film school as much as I don't love having the debt from it. Um, <laughs> Aside from just being surrounded by other really talented people and how that pushed me to get better, um, also it pushed you to realize like, I don't, I try my best not to feel competitive with other people because we all have our own voice and we're all on our own journey. And so much of it's like persistence and luck and timing. There's so many aspects you can't control. The only thing you can really control is like finding your specific voice, what makes you unique or what are you most excited about creating and focusing on that and trying to uh you know lean into that as much as you can so like don't be so hard on yourself about making things just make things just write things and like with both of us you know we've made web series or short films like those can be great things to make while you're doing a jade job or while you're doing a job in the industry that's like not at all what you want to be doing or yeah. that's frustrating to be doing every day because you're not getting to like write or direct like I would love to be directing more in some ways it's the thing I love the most to do but it's so challenging as we know for like female <laughs> filmmakers yeah. to get the opportunity so I keep trying to make that happen for myself and you know luckily some friends asked me to direct things but I would love to be directing more so 
I have to keep making that happen for myself and then hope that that will lead to more opportunities down the line. But I just think like comparison can be very, I've seen it drive a lot of people out of the business and also just Mm -hmm. like, if you don't have things for yourself, you need to have a balance. Like it's so hard. So many of us have multiple jobs we're working at once while also working on projects or we have a family like, you know, or parents that we need to help take care of all these things. It's hard to find a balance, but I think always, I would also say always have something you're working on that brings you joy, whether it's something you're writing, something you're directing and making with friends, you know? And then I also think find your people is like the, one of the biggest things I would say, like, and find the people who have the same, um, kind of spirit that they bring to creating. Mm -hmm. So like the people who also want to have inclusivity, you know, like that's something that's really important to me or people who have a no asshole policy on set, which is not many, there are many people in the business that that's not the case that, you know, even in film school, you see that like, look for the collaborators, look for the people who have the same kind of attitude and spirit that you bring to the work and also who are excited about making things like, I think something that makes me sad in the business the longer I'm in it is when you see people who get so jaded and I understand why because the business can really beat you down but like I don't personally ever want to be not excited about other things people are making too like when you say like what's your favorite tv show or what's your favorite film like there's so many I love like old films I love indie films I love documentaries and I find a lot of inspiration for it and same with like you'll see in comedy a lot of times people are like well I never want to watch comedy because I write comedy and I understand that to a degree because it's like you're thinking about it in a different way when you're writing it but at the same time like that would make me so sad if I ever tuned into someone who couldn't like you know like I see Rose Montefeo like making Starstruck like I really am inspired by her as a performer and a creator and um it would just make me so sad if I couldn't appreciate things that other people are making and also want to help, you know, hopefully each other make stuff. Like I know with you too, right. It's like you find your people and it's like, okay, I'm making something and like, I want you to be a part of it. Or can you help, you know, with this aspect and I'll work on your thing. And um, I think even as you work your way up, like, if I look at like Amy Sedaris, you know, like her and Stephen Colbert and Paul Danello, like they've been working together since they were like 24 years old, you know, Mm -hmm. and they're still working together. And I think like they still have a genuine love for making things um, Mm -hmm. and a playfulness. Like I never want to lose also just like, I love being silly. I can be a really serious person. I can make documentaries about serious things, but I also love being silly. And I do feel like in this capitalistic world, we're so often like pushed to live a certain life, have success look like a certain thing. You know, to me, success, like I said, is just being able to continue to make art and to hopefully be able to make a living at it. It would be good to have it be less stressful sometimes, but um, <laughs> I know. Yeah, those are kind of my big things like find your people, find your voice, make things that make you happy and um don't lose yourself in a business that often is trying to like make everybody be the same or put you into a certain kind of box like just be who you want to be make the stuff that you think needs to be made or that's not being seen um, or that isn't out there because you know so often now especially with all these reboots and everything it's like everyone wants something that's 
they feel like guaranteed success. But then, like, what are the shows or films that you're really drawn to? Usually ones that are original, you know? That yeah. are, like, a new voice or have a different angle or aren't being represented. And so, um, like, I think, you know, that can be easy to get lost in, especially when it's just really hard to survive as a creator. But if you can I know. focus on, you know, what brings you joy about it and try to not be forced in a box, I think... You know, and just have persistence. I mean, so much of the business is persistence. Even people you see who might have a high peak of success, it's going to come down and it's going to go up yeah. and it's going to come down. And that's just kind of the ride that artists are on. Like, if anything, the pandemic, I think, has taught us, like, you know, I, I kind of try to take it one day at a time. Like, I, I don't know what I'm doing <laughs> often, like, rarely more than months in advance just because that's the life of an artist and so I think you kind of just have to embrace that it can be difficult yeah. sometimes the uncertainty but I do think uncertainty is a big part of it so you just have to kind of like embrace it and lean into it because that's always going to be an aspect of being an artist I think yeah that's great advice Katie, thank you so much for your time. I know you have to go to work, so I don't want to keep you here. <laughs> no, thanks for having me on, and congrats on your first season of the podcast. And Thank um, you. I look forward to uh, seeing what you make next, maybe the documentary, or if it's another series, or whatever it ends up. I know. Up. I think I'm going to... I'll let you know about the documentary, but if I get the grant, I'll definitely have to do it, because yeah, I have a year sure. to do it. <laughs> yeah, I hope you do get the grant, and I'm sure it'll be great experience and yeah i'm happy to offer any anything i've learned during the process <laughs> thank you a lot of documentary i feel like it's just kind of figuring it out as yeah. you go where your subjects yeah. go but um yeah it was great chatting with you and uh i hope we will have to get together in new york um soon i know back and uh yeah, because we, I was going to say, we met at the Big Apple Film Festival when we... I know, we met a while ago. Series, so... Um, you had your web series, I had a short film. Yeah. That's right. Uh, quick question before you go. Are you still working on Seeking Sublet, or you just put, you shelved it? Oh. Yeah, Seeking Sublet has had a lot of ups and downs. You know, it's about two roommates trying to find their permanent third roommate in New York City, which I feel like... If anyone who's lived in a big city can relate to or if you've just had roommates um, that constant kind of every episode is basically them trying to live with a different person um, which is a story that I know well still have roommates in New York and have had many subletters many roommates over the years some really great some not so great um, and so there's a lot of fodder our cast is fantastic a lot of my cast has actually gone on to do a lot of exciting things like be starring in TV shows or being mm -hmm. in films and making their own stuff. Um, one of them's like a very popular person on YouTube, like vlogger oh, wow. now and creative person. So that's been cool to see. Yeah, we actually had genuine interest in the series, which was exciting. Um, and it did really well on Funny or Die. We got a lot of views and played festivals like you um, did with your short film. And um, it was a great experience. I would love to make it into a full series. Um, Hopefully I'll be in a position to do that someday. I think when the pandemic happened, it kind of closed down a lot of development at that time. And so, yeah, I have a few things I'm working on, but that's always one on the back burner that we just got mm -hmm. such a reaction from people in the world just because everyone can 
tell bad roommate stories. Yeah. Uh, which is even when I cast my cast, it was like the first round, you know, like just tell me some of your worst roommate stories. And no one didn't have one. They were just like, how many do you want? You know, like, especially living in. I know, it's a relatable story. Yeah, so hopefully we'll get to do more with it down the line. But I'm proud of the nine episodes we made. And um, it was really great getting to play festivals like all over the U.S. to see it with like a Nashville audience, a New York yeah. audience, an L.A. audience, a Portland audience. So, um, yeah, I think web series are a great way to like. I've also been able to show it to people for work. You know, it's like here's something I wrote, directed, produced, cast to kind mm -hmm. of fully show the scope of what you're capable of. Um, so I think that's helped me with some jobs just because people don't always want to read stuff. They're just like, oh, yeah. I can, you know, watch this. That's easier than having to, like, read a bunch of stuff. So um, I think it's a good thing for people to make if they're interested in, in making TV or film. You know, it's just a good way to show here's five episodes I made, ten episodes I made, multiple seasons. Um, you know, and most of our episodes we shot in a day or a day and a half. Um, just because of the budget that we had, which was very small. So, yeah. um, but it was like, even that, you know, the fact that you can be like, we made this in a day, we made this in two days. I mean, obviously time goes into editing it and stuff, but it's a good way to show like what you're capable of under pressure as well. Um, that I think is, can be useful for people. It's also great if you have more time and you can make it, like, look the best effort and everything. But yeah. not all of us have that, you know. And anyone can, like, with iPhones these days, like, you can just, like, shoot something on an iPhone and it can look really good. And really it's just yeah. for me about, especially with comedy, it's about the cast is such a huge part of it, you know. And, like, I like to collaborate with actors a lot. So I like to improv on set and, like, always have the scripts be the best they can be. But then after we get scripted takes, like, okay, let's try some takes where people can try anything or I'll yell out jokes, you know, to try and in the moment. And I think for me personally, that creates the best environment when you're directing just because, especially for comedy, because um, the actors feel more a part of it. And wouldn't you know it, so many times an actor will have like the best line in the moment that you're just like, oh man, I worked on that script for so long and you like came up with the best joke. But it's also like such an adrenaline rush to like have those kind of moments. And I find, you know, some actors aren't improvers and that's okay too. You don't need everyone to be, but if you have some people who are you know, grounded in the scene. And then you have some people who are able to just try things. I think that's often the best combination. And that was the case in Seeking Sublows. Like our core characters were exceptional actors, really grounded in the moment. Improving wasn't as much their thing. They could do it, but then we had some supporting cast who was really, really strong at improving. And so it was kind of the perfect balance because our core mm -hmm. two were always super grounded in the scene. And then the, you know, some of the supporting cast could really like try stuff that it was fun to see them react to just in the moment mm -hmm. as the characters. So, um, yeah, I really think it's a great way to show what you're capable of. And like I said, you can do it relatively cheap and still have something that, you know, people can respond to because with comedy, I think ultimately people are going to respond most to the performances, right. And, and the characters relate to the characters. So, um, that doesn't need to have flashy camera work or, you know, expensive equipment. Mm -hmm. Like, it's great if you can have that. But I think if you can make people laugh, if, if you can make people care about the characters, that's what they're going to remember far more yeah. than, you know. 
oh, that looks so beautiful. I mean, it's great yeah. if they can look beautiful, but, you know, <laughs> it's more expensive to, a lot of times to pull off that kind of stuff. So, and write something where you can shoot it. We shot Seeking Sublet mostly in my apartment in the streets of New York City. So it's like we didn't have to have money for all these locations. And, I mean, yeah, it was really challenging sometimes shooting yeah. it in my real apartment. But um, I also wanted to have that claustrophobic feel where it's like, what a New York City apartment can feel like, like people on top yeah. of each other, you know? And um, I think everybody can relate to that that's had roommates of just like, ah, like I need exactly. my own space. You know? Is the web series still online? Uh, it's not online right now, just because we had interest, but so, there's a bunch of sketches on Funnier Die still that people can watch. It's called Seeking oh. Sublet, um, and we still okay. have a, a Twitter and stuff. But I hope to put the episodes up somewhere permanently soon, um, regardless of development that hopefully will happen down the road but yeah what yeah. about your short film have you thought about doing a feature with that because I know it kind of had that aspect like where it could yeah be I just didn't do um it just stayed as a short I didn't really I just wanted to do something and like I had that story in my head for a while yeah so I, it was just a short that I wanted to do it I didn't really have like plans for the future with it yeah well, it's great when you have a short, like when we made Street Fighting Man, we also made a short doc that just was something that happened with a person we were following. He's not a main character in the series, but, um, or in the film, but it was just something that happened over the course of a weekend. And it was just mm -hmm. like, oh, that's perfect for a short, you know, like literally it happened over two days and it was just the perfect kind of story for a short. So sometimes yeah. I feel like shorts are, the best shorts are kind of the ones that I mean, it's nice if it can be a calling card for maybe a series or for a feature film, but also I really enjoy shorts that just, like, really work as a short, like, yeah, you know, a story that's really good for a shorter format. Yeah, and I also just wanted to have it, just like you said, it's good to have, uh, just to show people that you're able to do totally. uh, stuff, you know, create and produce your own stuff so they could see what you're capable of. Yeah, and I think, like, the best thing I love about indie filmmaking, which, like, I love um, and continue to do a lot of, is, you know, just, like, people are... There's a real community in it, and people wanting mm -hmm. to, like... You have to learn so much on your feet, and you have to, like... Like, even if you have experience or you went to film school or whatever, like, just making... Um, you know, indie stuff is such a labor of love because there's usually, like, you know, not a huge crew and not a lot of money, and you just have to be resourceful. And I think it's really yeah. helpful for later if you have more resources because you kind of know, like, where to put money and where you can, you know, okay, we don't need as much for this, but we really need it for these things, or just it helps you prioritize. And then just, like, the aspect of multitasking, once you've had to do so much on your own or with a really small team um it makes other things seem easy because you're like oh you have all this time and you have all this equipment and mm -hmm. you have you know more resources um so i think it's a really really useful skills that are learned in those kind of condensed experiences where you just have to make it happen and yeah that's always useful for anything you're making even if you have the biggest budget or like I was listening to a podcast recently and Damien Chazelle and his two of his producers you know who made like Babylon and Whiplash and all those movies they were saying even though Babylon was the biggest budget 
that he's had, I think, to make any of his work, that there were days where, like, because it was such an ambitious film, I haven't seen it yet, but it was such an ambitious <laughs> film that the producers were just like every day we were having to be like and, and it was shot during the pandemic so like are we gonna have enough extras like can we like oh do any assistants want to be like extras like you know um or they were talking about a tracking shot where you know like things kept breaking down like the thing that was supposed to pull it broke down so then they got a wagon then that broke down and it was just oh, like the way you have to problem solve um all the time i think making shorts and making like web series or digital content is super helpful or short you know any kind of short film because it's a lot of problem solving and make it making it happen with less than ideal circumstances which is like gonna really serve you when you do have more resources because you just know what to like prioritize and be able to deal with anything that comes your way (laughs) yeah exactly Sorry about my dog whining the whole time in the background. No, I like to see the dog before I go because I love Oh, wait, let me show you. Lucky. Okay, so I'll let you go because I know you have to go to work. Yes, I hope you uh, have a good rest of your day. And thanks for having me on. And good luck with uh, the rest of the podcast. Thank you.